Chapter 8, verse 27. O you who believe, be not unfaithful. Be not. O who you believe, be not unfaithful to Allah and the Messenger, nor be unfaithful to your trusts while you know. The next one is. Chapter 23, verses 8 to 11. Walladina hum li amanatihim wa ahdihim ra'un. Walladina hum ala Salawatihim yuhafizun Ulaikahumul warisun Al-lazina yarisun al-firdausa hum fiha khalidun and those who are keepers of their trusts and their covenants and those who keep a guard on their prayers. These are the heirs. These are the ones who inherit, who will inherit the paradise and therein they will abide. In the first verse that I recited to you, God has told us two things, three things. And that is who the believers are. And that is those who believe they are not ungrate, unfaithful to Allah. They are not unfaithful to His Messenger. And they are not unfaithful to their trusts. So what is this trust that the Holy Quran talks about? This trust is the duty that you have as an individual towards your society. And uh, that duty includes everything. That duty includes be doing your job honestly to the best of your ability. That duty includes doing your job without favor, without prejudice. 
I had a case recently where uh, I consulted a Pakistani lawyer for uh, guidance and the guidance that I sought was is it better to pursue this matter in Pakistan or in England and what did he say? He said one party is an Ahmadi, the other party is a Sunni. No judge in Pakistan will give a decision in favor of the Ahmadi, although the Ahmadi's case is justified. Is that judge fulfilling his trust? His job is not to look at people's religion. His job is not to look at people's sect. His job is not to say, you're an atheist, you don't believe in God, so I'm going to uh, give a decision that goes against you. If that person doesn't believe in God, God will decide what to do with him. That judge hasn't been given the authority, the duty to decide. He is not being faithful to his trust. And that is the same. The three things are mentioned together in the same sentence one after another. O you who believe, be not unfaithful to Allah. Be not unfaithful to his messenger. Be not unfaithful to your trusts, which is to your duties that God has imposed upon you. And we know that in Islam, duties are divided into two. Hakukullah. Duties due to God and duties due to human beings, to your neighbors, to everyone else, to your relatives, to your wife, to your children. You have to fulfill all those duties. There was a girl who got married and uh, after uh, a few weeks Hazrat Aisha saw her and the girl was in an unkempt state. So Hazrat Aisha said, what's the matter with you? And she said, well, I've just got married, my husband doesn't pay me any attention. So why should I look after myself? So Hazrat Aisha said, why is that? She said, well, he works all day and he prays all night. He has no time for me. And Hazrat Asha mentioned this to the Holy Prophet Muhammad and the Prophet of Allah said, I pray and I sleep. I fast and I don't fast. And he said, everything, you owe a duty to everything. You owe a duty to your neighbors, you know, owe a duty to your family, you owe a duty to your, to your wife. And he said, you owe a duty to your own body so that you take proper rest and you take proper sleep. It is no good. It is no goodness that you ignore your wife, you ignore your own health and you work all day and you stand up in prayer all night. This is why Muslims are called Ummat-e-Vusta. People say it means the most superior people. 
I don't agree with that. I think Ummat Agusta means people who follow the middle course. They are not extremists. They don't go to one extreme where they totally ignore God and religion and spirituality. And they don't go to the other extreme where they ignore all their duties which are due in this life. To everyone around them. To all those that they interact with. To all those with whom they come into contact. And amongst these duties, of course, is taking part in the political life of a country. Going out to vote. Voting for the proper people. All of these are our duties. We had an election last night. And you know that there, there is a hadith of the Holy Prophet that I recite often and comment upon it often. Because when I look at that hadith from one angle, I think it means this. It applies in this situation. And then something else happens. And I look at that hadith again in the light of the new circumstances or situation. And I think surely this hadith applies here. And then yesterday when I was following the election, I thought surely this hadith applies here. And the hadith, it's a long hadith, but it ends by saying that towards the end the sun shall rise from the west and people generally take that to mean that uh, physically the sun will start to uh, uh, rise in the west uh, etc rather than the east but if you look at the at the election we see that the light of how to behave during an election, before an election, during an election, after an election, all our Muslim countries can be guided by that light. Because all that sun means that the light, the light of knowledge, the light of manners, the light of understanding, the light of how to behave, the light of how to treat your fellows, all of those things will come from the West. Because light is what guides you. You're in darkness. You don't know which way to go. And you look around and you see a light. And naturally, you walk towards, you gravitate towards that light. When there is an election in a Muslim country, first of all, every single political party resorts to, I would say, illegal and immoral means to win the election. Anything scandalous, anything bad that they can find about the others, whether true or false, they publicize them. They cheat, they lie, they temper with the boxes in which people have uh, uh, put their votes 
The list is a long one. What happened here? There are armies appointed at the polling booths. Paramilitary is there to protect uh, people who are going in to vote. No one asks who voted for who and why. There are countries where powerful landlords are actually standing inside and they look at every single voter's chit to see where they put the cross. To make sure that they vote for them. You know, there is a joke uh, in Pakistan <clears throat> that the landlord, he owned about 5,000 acres and so on. And he was standing for uh, election. So he sent his henchmen out to all the tenants to say on the election day, you're going to vote for him. So they got to this guy, they call Mirasis, it's a low class of people they regarded as, and they said to him, you've got to vote for the landlord. And he said, go away. The law gives me freedom to vote for whoever I like. So they went back and reported this to the landlord. And he then sent uh, a jeep. The Mirasi was picked up and brought to the landlord and put in front of him. And the landlord took his uh, stick out and started beating him. And after he'd finished, he said, didn't my henchman explain to you that you got to vote for me? And the Mirasi said, well, sir, they, they did, but not in this detail. But now that I know the detail of why I've got to vote for you, this is supposed to be a joke, but this is what actually happens. And the sad thing is that in this country, almost every single person charged and convicted of election fraud and sent to prison has been one of our Sunni brothers from Pakistan. And uh, I was involved in a trial, election fraud trial, some years ago, where uh, people from, uh, Sunni Muslims from Pakistan had perpetrated a huge fraud in local elections by fabricating postal voting and, uh, uh, <coughs> to uh, get this uh, sitting uh, councillor out and get a Pakistani um, elected and I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed not because they actually committed a fraud, I was embarrassed at the stupidity with which they committed the fraud. There's a one-bedroom flat and they were showing 16 people living in a one-bedroom flat who wanted to give postal votes. There was a house that was boarded up that had been boarded up by the council. And they said there were 10 people living in that boarded up house. All you had to do was go down the street and look at the house number. You could see it was boarded up and there was no one living there. I mean, if you're going to commit a fraud, for God's sake, at least don't show that there are 16 people. It just shows your contempt and disrespect and disregard for the law, 
that you have such little respect for the law and the institutions of this country that you think no one is going to actually walk down the road and look at that house and no one is going to question how can 16 people live in a one bedroom flat and uh, they compounded the matter they compounded the matter by then trying to fabricate evidence to deceive the judge who was hearing the case and there was some dispute about spellings and names and so on and I sent uh, one of the barristers a note which said well because uh, Arabic and Urdu and Farsi don't have vowels they don't have A E I O U this is why when we write Muhammad and Mahmud and all these names in English there are uh, difficulties about whether it's M-U-M-O or whatever it is and the, uh, the barrister read this out and to this day I remember this judge he leaned back in his chair and said yes from what I can remember of the Hebrew and Arabic grammar and then proceeded to give a 15 minute lecture on Arabic grammar And they were trying to deceive that man who was a high court judge and the Arabic grammar he had studied 30 years before he remembered who was fulfilling his trust who was faithful to his trust was it these Pakistanis who tried to defraud the system or was it that judge you see, it does not matter whether you spend an hour on each one of the five daily prayers. It does not matter if you don't get off the prayer mat all day. It does not matter if you fast 365 days of the year. If you are not faithful to your trusts, if you are not speaking the truth if you're not honest in your dealings with people none of it matters why do you think that early on people embraced Islam was it because Islam had because the Holy Quran had been translated into Chinese and Japanese uh, uh, well certainly Chinese where there are huge populations of Muslims or Mongols and Ukrainian where there are huge populations of Muslims or Indonesians and Malaysian where there are huge populations of Muslims? No, the Quran was in Arabic. So what was it? Was it commentaries of the Holy Quran? Was it the Hadith of the Holy Prophet? What was it that all these people in these far-off lands which Muslims never conquered, which Muslims never attacked like Malaysia and Indonesia and so on. What was it that made those people embrace Islam? It was that when Muslims dealt with those people, they were honest, truthful and upright in their dealings. And those who came into contact with them said that any religion that creates people like this cannot be wrong and they embrace that religion. 
And when God says, be not unfaithful to Allah, these are Allah's commands. We are unfaithful to them. In the Quran, God says, don't backbite. It says, do you want to eat the dead meat of your brother? If you don't, then don't backbite because backbiting is exactly like eating the dead meat of your brother. And we do it. So we are not faithful to God. We are not faithful to God. If we were, we wouldn't be backbiting. I know people backbite. I know they backbite about me. And everyone else. Those who pretend to be holy and uh, so on and so forth. And leaders. And presidents of Jamaats and uh, the Maulanas and uh, so on. If they are not going to set an example, then who is? Don't be unfaithful to the Holy Prophet Muhammad. Are we faithful to him? We are unfaithful because we don't behave in the same way as he did. We tell stories, oh this woman used to heap rubbish on him and one day she didn't and the next day she didn't and he went back and knocked on the door and said, are you fine? I was worried for the last two days you haven't heaped any rubbish on my head. What a wonderful man he was. Of course he was and of course he did. But what do we do? See, we have no idea of what our objective is. Our objective is that people should not insult the Holy Prophet Muhammad by making such sketches. An unknown, unread paper with a circulation of 10,000 publishes a cartoon of the Holy Prophet Muhammad. They did a bad thing. What did we do? What did we do? We brought that cartoon to the attention of tens of millions of people. So all the newspapers in the West said, okay, we are going to publish it. How many papers are you going to burn down and how many uh, editors are you going to kill? And then what these papers did, did, did they do? They started publishing more cartoons. And then what's happened in, in, in America? They actually held a competition in Texas about who creates, makes a sketch of the early Prophet Muhammad that denigrates him most. If our objective was that people don't do it, did we achieve it or did we achieve the opposite? What was the best thing to do? To ignore it or give it publicity? We gave it more publicity than the non-Muslims. You know, there is a saying in, the, in Urdu, if you're walking down a road and a dog barks at you, you turn, don't turn around, go back and start barking back. You let the dog bark. You let the dog bark and you carry on. You carry on. But what do we do? No, we don't. And when people see a human being barking at a dog, what happens? You get a crowd gathered. And this is what's happened with these cartoons. 
fulfilling our trust to the Holy Prophet, being faithful to the Holy Prophet means taking the principles of how he behaved and following along his footsteps. Being faithful to him does not mean that if we have to go from A to B, we use a camel or we use a horse or if a Muslim country is attacked rather than face the enemy with guns and uh, jet fighters and, and tanks, we bring out swords and arrows and spears uh, and what have you. But all we have these days is words, nothing but words. And words are not going to achieve anything. It is actions. When people see you, when people come to a jamaat and no one backbites. When they get home, no one rings them and you say, oh, you see what Farooq did, oh, you see what Yahya did, oh, you see what Shahid did, oh, you know. It's when you do that, that people think, what kind of an organization, what kind of spirituality, what kind of morality do these people have? So when you read these verses of the Holy Quran, they apply throughout your life. They apply to your social life, they apply to your political life, they apply to your legal life. And being faithful to Allah means putting the commandments of the Holy Quran into practice. Being faithful to the Holy Prophet Muhammad means following in his footsteps and behaving the way he would when faced with a certain situation. Even when faced with death, the Holy Prophet would, would not retreat. And being faithful to our trusts means that the duties that God has imposed upon us about how to behave, how to deal with people all, all around us, that we fulfill those we will only be successful if we do these things. Apart from that, you can build the most magnificent mosques. I've seen one, I think it's in Abu Dhabi, where one chandelier is worth $10 million. And there's about 20 chandeliers in, in, in there. It's a magnificent place, a place to be held. The question is, by looking at that, how many people have said Islam is a wonderful religion? and embraced Islam. What made Muslims great were not their buildings and castles and palaces and roads and mosques. What made them great was their character and their behavior. And that was what made others join this religion.